Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Wednesday, March 30th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by GoToAssist Express. If you're in tech support, solve problems fast with the leader in remote support software, GoToAssist Express. For a free 30-day trial, visit gotoassist.com slash TNT. And by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at freshbooks.com. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Maya Zaktar. And I'm Jason Howell. And this is the show where we kick around the Tech News of the Day. Try to make a little sense for you, even when it's almost senseless. That's what we do. It's got some Every sense. Day. We got some senseless stuff <laughs> well, in the well, lineup today. It's, it's, it can be a little convoluted, so we'll do our best. Yeah. A uh, North Carolina bill called the Level Playing Field Local Government Competition Act, as as these bills are so trippingly named sometimes, has passed. The North Carolina House of Representatives, and uh, it essentially makes it difficult for municipalities in the state to operate competitive ISPs. So if when I say that, I mean if a city wants to operate as an ISP, uh, it would make it more difficult. Uh, in fact, we, we brought along a, a guest on the show today to talk about this, Christopher Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis. You can find them at uh, muninetworks.org. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us today, first of all. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, you, you're involved on the side of the municipalities in advocating for this sort of thing, are you not? That's right. We, we defend the right of communities everywhere to build these kind of networks. Can you explain to us what's going on in this bill? Because a, a lot of places are, are reporting it as it's outlawing municipal networks, and that's not exactly what it's doing. There, there are some reasonable provisions in here, as well as some, some less reasonable ones, right? Right. It's a, it's a longer bill. Um, in fact, uh, for four years now, Time Warner Cable has been trying to push some sort of bill in North Carolina to rid itself of community networks. There's only a couple there, but apparently Time Warner has a real problem with them. And so this bill is longer than some of the other ones, which were more blatant in terms of saying thou shalt not. This is sneakier in that it sets up a whole bunch of barriers that in toto basically make it impossible for a community to, to succeed in building a network. It puts a lot uh, of hurdles in front of them in other words exactly and a lot of the policymakers are saying oh well this isn't outlawing them but the reality is is it's what we call a de facto ban because the the, the idea that anyone would be able to surpass all these hurdles is pretty remote now some of them seem seem like good ideas the idea that if a municipality puts in conduits and and, and lays cable that they they should share those rights of way if other companies want to come along Th- those seem less objectionable what are some of the more stringent things that would be harder for a municipality to overcome well, one of the first ones is uh, it regulates where they can offer the services and limits them into a, a defined area, often their political boundaries. And that's interesting because just a few years ago, that legislature had told the cable companies that they wouldn't be restricted and they would have the ability to offer services anywhere in the state they wanted to, which is problematic from a universal service perspective. But the the point here is 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 that it's a not level playing field in that we have an industry that's characterized by economies of scale and the private sector is able to build wherever they want to and expand and the public sector is limited uh so that's one uh, another one would be the the loss leaders uh so 
anyone knows that you take service from a major company like Time Warner Cable, you're probably going to sign on for six months at a really low rate. Now, most community networks don't do that, but this comes out in this bill and it really regulates the rates in terms of not only uh, can they not offer any rate for any period of time below the cost of providing it, of provide, of um, offering it, but they also uh, cannot um, provide one service that subsidizes another service. So all of the services themselves have to fully pay for themselves, which is not anything that uh, that is common in this industry where you may have a very high margin on one service and a very low margin or a loss on another service. Right. In other words, um, the loss leaders are, are very common uh, in the business to say, you know what, we're going to roll out this voice service. It's not going to make us any money for several years, but we're going to mm-hmm. use it because it, we can bundle it in and we can get people in as, as more customers. Overall, it sounds like this bill just says, look, you're not going to be able to compete with ISPs. ISPs that are private can do whatever they want, but if, if a city wants to roll its own ISP, it's going to be hobbled. Uh, and and so, so that they are less likely to be able to compete with a private ISP. That's exactly it. And actually, last year, there was a great uh, admission by the senator who pushed it last year, who then retired, uh, and he admitted that the bill had been written by Time Warner Cable. Uh, it's almost certain that this bill was written by Time Warner Cable. Uh, we would not expect a bill written by Time Warner Cable to be reasonable. It would further their own interests, and it's going through largely unchanged. They've claimed they've changed a whole lot of it, but in reality, there's been a few word tweaks here and there, really nothing substantial. And it's really quite troubling to say to communities, and in the 41st-ranked broadband state, you cannot build a better broadband network. And uh, GigaOM actually just put up a, a, a post maybe a week ago, ago by uh, Stacy uh, Higginbotham, I believe, and, and that it basically ranked number of cities in terms of their cost per megabit per second. North Carolina had seven of the most expensive ten cities in the country. Yeah, uh, if you if you look at the uh, if you look at the region, Tennessee's got a city uh, owned uh, fiber optic service in Chattanooga, which is very close to North Carolina, thousand megabit per second service. Uh, so we get one gigabit per second service. North Carolina's Greenlight Community Network offers pay TV phone service and as much as 100 megabits per second. This, compared to what Time Warner offers in the Wilson, North Carolina area, 15 megabits per second. I mean, that's like a blazing speed package, too. That's what they call their blazing speed. Yes, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the way they advertise it. And I, as a, I want to bring you in here, too, as well, because uh, we were talking about this earlier. The analogy is that if you said to the U.S. Post Office... None of your packages can cost more than UPS, DHL, or FedEx cost to ship. And you can only ship in this particular region. You can't ship outside of it. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is we've seen, like, Apple do this weird thing with subscription pricing where they want to go, okay, look, your pricing has to match ours. And people really lost their heads about this. And the fact that North Carolina is even thinking about doing this kind of restriction to ISPs, well, to their own ISPs, which is even crazier, it just seems really odd. And I hope that people watching this Get upset about it, too. If you're in North Carolina, you should really try to fight this. I mean, I mean you can't do anything for a while until you can vote these people out. But I just think this is absurd. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a big uh, believer in having the government do everything. But I don't think there should be a limit on the government providing something if the voters in the area would like it to be provided. I don't think you should hobble the government from providing a competitive service if it can. Uh, Chris, what, what is the potential... For this to pass the Senate, this bill that would would restrict how you can roll out a city network. Uh, frankly, we're thrilled that didn't pass weeks ago. Um, 
we expected this to pass very rapidly, uh, given uh, the makeup of the legislature um, when it, uh, the most recent elections had brought in a very conservative group that seemed more willing to uh, listen to Time Warner Cable and, uh, and not listen to the communities. But we've had so many phone calls in that we've really slowed it down. We've, the longer these bills are considered, the more unpopular they become when people realize what they're really doing. So there's a good chance, there's a good chance of stopping it. Um, and, um, what I wanted to say with what I has said was that people really do need to get involved. Um, you can check out some websites that are covering it. The Ars Technica article, I, I'm guessing you'll put in the show notes, fantastic article. They really do incredible reporting and not just because I may agree with some of it. They say things I don't always agree with, but they do good reporting on these issues. Uh, and then, um, I write about it at muninetworks.org and stop the cap is a fantastic site for these issues as well. So people can go to any one of those three sites to learn more about it. Um, so great, Chris. Uh, thank you so much uh, for jumping in and, and helping us to understand this issue. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm thrilled to help out. All right, take, take care. Uh, let's let's move on. Uh, a couple of uh, announcements related to this. Uh, actually, Chris, if you can, hold on, I forgot I was going <laughs> to ask you about this. Uh, Google announced that they are rolling out uh, their one gigabit per second broadband to Kansas City, Kansas, not Kansas City, Missouri. Although they're right next to each other, they right? are. Okay. They're split by the borders between Missouri and Kansas. Kansas City, Missouri is the bigger city. Mm-hmm. That's when you think of Kansas City, where the Chiefs play and the Royals and all that. That's Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Kansas is around one hundred fifty thousand people. Uh, can I ask a dumb question? Was it all just one big city at one time before there were state lines you know that's a good question i don't know when they divided yeah or, uh, or do they or just if, go like it's a great name or if they just we'll happen to be you know, <laughs> they just grew towards each other we love it one day uh but but chris i wanted to get your perspective on this how does google coming into a town and rolling out obviously this is a different issue than having the city itself uh, provided, but Google because Google is a private company and they're going to do it for the city. But wh- where does this fit into this picture of, of municipal networks? Uh, it's it's a great question, and uh, one interesting difference between the Kansas cities is that Missouri makes it very difficult for communities to build their own networks. Kansas doesn't have any special regulations uh, making it harder. I don't know if that influenced Google, but if I was at Google, I'd want a state that worked with communities and allowed them more freedom. Um, now, this network is is fascinating in the sense that it will separate the uh, service provision from the infrastructure, which is what I really love to see, which is to say it should be like the roads. The roads are available to everyone. Different uh, independent service providers can provide different services. No, the roads don't favor a particular uh, provider. So, you know, UPS can't pay more than, than FedEx to drive faster on the roads. This is a, a terrific approach. Uh, what I really hope to to see is that this this idea of the Google network fundamentally changes the telecom model in the U.S., which has been a monopoly model. Whoever owns the lines offers the services. If uh, Google can put 500,000 people on a network where anyone can offer services, uh, it, it could seriously change the dynamic. Uh, meanwhile, another related story we have as well is that uh, Verizon announced they're going to upgrade segments of the backbone by the end of the second quarter to 100 uh, gigabits per second. That'll happen in three segments, the Chicago to New York segment, Sacramento to L.A., and your own Minneapolis, Chris, uh, to Kansas City. Uh, this allows them to, to just move more bits more efficiently uh, on the backbone. It is surprising to me how often we see uh, advances on the backbone without nearly the, the hue and cry that we get when anyone wants to have an advance in speed to the curb. 
Right. Well, it's uh, there's a lot more competition in the backbone, uh, well, particularly in those kind of links. Uh, not so much out in uh, rural areas, uh, but it's 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 also something that's pretty opaque. No one really knows what's going on unless you're working in the industry and subject to various NDAs. It seems. Well, the last thing we want is more competition. So I am hoping that North Carolina <laughs> bill passes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Chris, again. Uh, we really do appreciate you talking to us on Tech News today. Chris Mitchell from muninetworks.org. Uh, you can check out what they do at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance there and also check out those other URLs he mentioned earlier. Let's move on to Samsung doing something also unfathomable, shipping notebooks with key loggers. Mohammed Hassan, founder of NetSec Consulting, discovered a star logger software. It's a key logger on Samsung laptops. First, he found it on model number R525, cleaned it off. Thought, well, that's weird. I wonder why Samsung had that on there. Then he returned that laptop for a Model 540 and found Starlogger again on the clean installed Samsung laptop before he had ever done anything to it. So uh, he decided to contact uh, Samsung. Went through several rungs of people saying, we don't know. It must be Microsoft. We just make the hardware. Till he finally got to a supervisor who said that Samsung did knowingly put the software on the laptop to, as he put it, quote, monitor the performance of the machine and find out how it is being used. Wow. I'm expecting tomorrow we'll be reporting that this manager was fired for saying such a thing, <laughs> and Samsung had no knowledge of such a thing. But you know what? I was thinking about the devil's advocate side of this. If Samsung actually wanted to have keyloggers, okay, and they want to know what I'm using or what I'm doing with my machine, shouldn't they just subsidize the machine? Then they're going to get data from me. I'll take a cheaper machine if you want to like actually stock me. So really, yeah, why not? It'd have to be a lot cheaper for me to even no actually no machine. I, even I, if it was even well, if they paid me, I'm still, it was a free I still laptop. don't want them to a free laptop that they actually checked everything. I don't know, like when. But Google seriously, I mean, you're, you're you're acting as if Samsung is seriously like key, we really need to like oh no, collect just, information. Key for login me. software think, is not just like let's see your patterns of usage. Let's get all your passwords yeah. and everything you type to everyone. <laughs> right. Well, and all, I mean, when I use Google, it's got all my pass- passwords. I got Mint. It's got passwords to my bank accounts. All that kind. But of But it's fun not stuff. a key logger. But they have access to the same information. Google has access to the passwords to your Google things. I'm saying that if there was a possibility that this thing was any good, if you want to spin this to make this positive, it's that we were testing out some kind of program to make it a cheaper laptop. Uh, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, you should go into Samsung PR then. I, even then, it's a stretch. Could, they, could, could there be even another side of this where he's on the phone with customer support? Who knows how many people he talked to who are like, I don't even know what keylogger software is. Let me have you talk to my manager. And finally, the manager says, you know, it's possible that maybe this is something that we're doing to people see in tech, if. Yeah, people in these call centers do this all the time, what you're talking about, where they're like, you know what? We really don't know the answer. The phone. We really need to get this guy off the phone. And let's say something that sounds like uh, an answer that you might be satisfied with. Right. I'm and ba- then you'll hang up. I am, I, I'm sure w- well before tomorrow's tech news today, we will find out what Samsung what actually happens. has been doing here. or. I should say, we will find out what Samsung says they have been doing here. Yeah, turning off the devil's advocate side, um, this smacks of Sony Rootkit. I, I would hate this to actually be a thing you that. Know, it I shouldn't be something you have to look up on your computer. Was it running a, a keylogger? You shouldn't I have, have to look a it up. feeling that Samsung's firmware installation got infected. And this keylogger was was installed accidentally. The supervisor doesn't know that. And so he just made this up. Uh, I, and that's what I expect Samsung to say is like, hey, you know what? Uh, when we were stamping out these these machines, uh, the, the system that installs this, it wouldn't be the first time that malicious software has got into a clean Windows install at the factory. I kind of like how it, he had bought 
one uh, laptop and went, huh, Keylogger software. That's, That's weird. weird. I'll just take it back. Get something different. Hey, it's still there. Something's up. Well, maybe if he did a third time, it'd be a pattern. <laughs> Two times. Uh. Well, he's, he is a security researcher, you know, yeah. no, and, is, and he called customer terrible. support, he, which yeah. which in one way is the right thing to do because you're not going to get a bunch of PR bluff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in another way, it's uh, it, you, you do run into people who may not know what question you're asking, much less what the answer he is. He probably knows a lot more than some of the folks that he talked to. Absolutely. On the other side of the sense. Now, he, in, in all fairness, before he published these articles on Network World, uh, gave Samsung a, a week to respond and didn't hear from them. So he went ahead and like, well, I'm, I'm going to publish this. Well, so. I, I, I'm glad he did. I, I bet I, we'll hear from them. Yeah, this will work. All right. We're also going to hear from Paul Allen in his book, Idea Man. Uh, the Vanity Fair has an excerpt of it right now if you want to read part of it. Uh, but the thing that's getting all the headlines is that Paul Allen says, I regret ever selling Tech TV. It was the worst. Dis- oh, no, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He actually didn't it, mention Tech it, it TV didn't mention at all. It in the book. Even though we don't think. it was a pretty great book. Uh, no, what he did say is that uh, Microsoft's Bill Gates tried to bilk him out of shares when he was sick with cancer. Yeah, he said that. Okay, so... And, of course, we don't know what happened because none of us were there. But uh, in the way that the story is told, he's sick. He's been out for a while because he has cancer and he's been ill and he's missed some time. This is in the 80s. Um, Yeah, he was first diagnosed, what, early 80s, I think, or mid-80s. And he had eavesdropped on some conversation between Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer that he wasn't pulling his weight and they should dilute his shares. And he confronted them and then, you know, they, they backed off. Or what, I mean, it's kind of like, hey, that may have happened. But in the same article, he's also referenced meetings that he had been in where someone had said something. And, and, and people have come forward already and said, wait, I was in that meeting and you weren't there, Paul <laughs> Allen. I don't remember Paul being there. So, Although, Paul Allen, very quiet man. He could have been in the meeting and no one noticed. <laughs> you Under never the table. notice him. Yeah. Slips in and out. Jay Leno style. He's very unassuming. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's it's one of those things where you kind of go like, oh, gosh, it, it it smacks a little bit of like a um, like the, the Microsoft McCartney where you're like, oh, just stop. Right. You know, right. do you, do you oh. really need that much glory? You know, it's well, like, didn't thing things was, work out well for you? They weren't like a 50-50 partnership to start with. I think they started off 60-40 and then Gates' well, share yeah, Ga- larger Gates got him to go 60-40. Right. And, the thing and then is, later said, you know what, I think it really should be 64-44-6 or whatever. The thing is that apparently Alan couldn't argue back well enough against Bill Gates. If you look at these teams, like you have like Jobs and Waz and you have Gates and Allen, I mean, you're going to have usually these... Two guys, one guy's more of a rock star than the other. I mean, we hardly see situations like the Google guys or the Twitter guys hanging out and like, oh, we're all equals and we'll, other than Dorsey getting kicked out and then all that fun stuff. I, I'm, I'm just saying that this just shows you how, not ruthless, but Bill Gates wanted to succeed, wanted to be the biggest guy in, in, in the industry, and he didn't care who he was stepping on. There's always one. There's always a, uh, a Zuckerberg for every, the other guy whose name I can't remember from the film. Well, exactly. I mean, (laughs) this is also kind of a, you know, memoirs sometimes tend to side with the person writing the memoir. I'm not saying none of the, this could be exactly how it happened. And everyone's just covering up for Gates, but. Oh, well, Bill Gates has reacted, by the way. He says, my recollection of many of these events may differ from Paul's, but I value his friendship (laughs) and the important contributions he made to the world of technology and at Microsoft. Then he sent out those malaria 
mosquitoes right after him. That um, is a good example of not feeding the troll. No, that didn't happen. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know? Hey, that's not what happened, but I respect you, Gates buddy. Thanks for all act. your service Absolute over class the act. years. Steve Ballmer has not responded, although we, we have heard uh, unconfirmed prob- reports of the sounds of chairs hitting walls. He's, chairs and he's, sweatiness. He's probably screamed into, you know... A pillow into his <laughs> office, into a zoom, <laughs> <just> screaming at <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, Eduardo! Uh, thank you, stupid genius. There is for every Zuckerberg, there's an Eduardo. Oh, poor Eduardo! We couldn't even remember his name I when know. pressed in the heat of the moment. Sorry, Eduardo. You're All very right. important. We uh, we've got some more crazy stories uh, coming up. But uh, first, we want to thank our sponsor, Go to Assist Express, because if you're in tech support, you don't need any more crazy stories. You need easy stories. You need stories that aren't very interesting to listen to because you solved your clients' problems fast and without even having to leave your desk. And that's what Go to Assist can do. Go to Assist was named the worldwide market leader in remote support by Frost and Sullivan, uh, an industry analyst group that focuses on the sector. It is the number one remote support solution. Essentially, you start your session with one click. Just like all the services from Citrix, you send the person you're helping an instant email invitation and it'll work on their PC, their Mac. You share your screen. They can share theirs so you can see the same problem they're seeing. And then there's an integrated live chat if you want to ask them questions. You diagnose the problem. You access their desktop remotely. You fix the problem by accessing their files. You can even transfer files if you needed to. Maybe there's a missing DLL. You download it. You put it on their machine. You're at your desk. They're maybe halfway across the country and you solve the tech support questions quickly and with clients even away from their computers. They don't even have to stick around. Go to Assist is brought to you by Citrix, and all data exchanged is kept under 128-bit end-to-end encryption. Try it out right now for free. Go to Assist Express at gotoassist.com slash TNT. You get a 30-day free trial. If you, if you try it for 30 days, you're going to like it. Go to assist.com slash TNT, and we thank them for their support. On to Google Plus One. What's the Plus One, Tom? Okay, so you know how there's the Google Social Circle? Yeah. That's not called the Social Circle anymore. Oh. And that has nothing to do with this. Mm. And you know how there's Google Buzz? Yeah. Well, well. that's sort of involved here, but it's, this is a different thing. Okay. And you know how there's a Facebook Like button? Yes. This is kind of like that, but it's inside search results in Google. So, oh. So, so what, you know how there's the other things like doing? this? This isn't like any of those. Even things already at Google. And I didn't even get into, like, Google has the, the, the Google Labs thing where you can vote search results up and down. Doesn't involve that. Google Doesn't has involve a blocking. lot of projects going on. Yeah. This is yet another. Google is Plus saying. One is simply this. All right. You go to a search result. You see a little plus one button. If you like the search result, you're like, this is the good search result. When I entered these search terms, this is what everyone should get. You put a plus one on it. Okay. Once you've done and that, it, and it, it's a little button that you hover yeah, over, yeah, and, and it turns to be, colored. You can, you can click turns it colorful once, once you click. It. Yeah. Then anyone who is in your Gmail contacts, your Google Talk contacts, your Google Contacts list, people you follow in Google Reader, and people you follow in Google Buzz, uh, will see a note under the search result that says, "Hey." Sarah Lane has plus one this. this. And that may bring your eye to it and go, oh, that's the good result. Or you may see like 35 people in your network have plus one to this. Oh, that must be the really good result. Can I just point out that plus one is such a stupid verb and I'm having a problem with this already? Can't we say something else? How how do you plus? I I plussed it. I plussed it? 
So this is, I mean, this is different than yeah. the dig model, for example, where you're voting up and down. Right. You're either saying no plus one or you're not saying anything. So it's a like or an ignore, I guess. And it really, I, what's interesting about this is it's not just, I went, go, I went ahead and plus one a couple things, plus a couple plus. things. See, I already have a problem with it. <laughs> a couple of my own web pages. So anybody that uh, I would have in my Google contacts would see that. But I can also plus one Google ads as well that show up in search results. That's right. All ads will get the buttons. Uh, advertisers cannot turn them off. Uh, if you click on the plus one button next to ads, it does not count as a click. You're just saying you like the ad. And advertisers will get to see the stats on how many people plus one and from where, whatever the verb ends up being. Yeah. Now, I think, now I think we're, I, I want to make a quick correction here. When I say like all the contacts and people you follow in Google Buzz, you see their plus ones. Right. They don't see yours unless they have you in their contact Because list. that would, I mean, Google Buzz has had privacy issues already. I, I happen to be following not that many people in Google Buzz, so... The, all the folks that are following me are not going to see. Uh, yes, that's the way it goes. Right. They're not going to see the things. Just that I because like. I follow you doesn't force street. you to see my plus one. Exactly. If I read it right, though, if if your friends like a plus one something, and other people plus one it, you'll see that those people's names, like Sarah Lane and Tom Merritt, and thirty six others plus one this search result. That is really hard to say now. It is, isn't it? Is it plus yes. one or plus one? I it's don't, very clunky. Whatever it is, it's there's uh, plus one attained. Okay, exactly. So if they hit that little button, you'll see that everywhere. I really like it for the advertisements actually, because sometimes I see those little ads over there. I'm like, well, is that actually great, or does somebody pay a lot for that spot? And I can go, oh, great, that's a great fine uh, fine for a restaurant or something like that. Now I was arguing with you earlier, Tom, about the whole. How is this different from Facebook? And I, I mean, I use Facebook a lot, and I see people liked this thing. That's how I see my, my links. And this way, though, it actually it seems like it's a lot better for a bookmarking service for me because I know I use some key search terms, and sometimes I can't find that again. At least I could plus one it there, have my own bookmarks that way. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but what I'm thinking is they're missing one particular thing. What things should they add? To the plus one? Yes. Some kind of news feed. I want to see what you're liking regularly, what you're liking, or plus wanting regularly, which actually makes it more like Facebook. Because otherwise, you go to your profile, right? I go to your profile, and I can see what you plus one. Well, I think, is- honestly, this whole addition to Google profiles themselves makes it more like Facebook than ever. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about is the next step. Yeah. It's that we start to interact with each other's likes on a much more, uh, in within our profiles, the way that it is now. Because... Google Profiles has been around for a while. I set up my profile, and then I kind of never went back. Mm-hmm. It shows up in my Google search results, obviously, but it's not dynamic. It's not really a place to do anything. Now they've got scrapbooks. They've got my plus one tab that you can enable. You have to opt in, uh, but you can enable it, and it looks more like Facebook than ever. Oh, yeah, I, need, so- I want a negative one button, too. And you guys can turn this on right now. If you go to Google Experimental, you can actually opt into this right now. Yeah, because it's rolling it. out slowly right. to a small percentage. And English and Google.com is what they're saying it's going to be in for now. And uh, it's, I don't know when the exact rollout is uh, set to be official. Google.com slash experimental to force it to happen. Uh, and also, because it's in its early days, Google is not using this yet in PageRank. It is not using it to affect search results. So they say it will be a signal they'll add later on. But right now, they just want to see how it works for the small amount of people that are using it. On to Google being audited for 
privacy after buzz complaints. This is a pretty quick one. Google opted people into its Google Buzz service last year when they launched it, if you remember. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, because you were a Google user, suddenly were using Google Buzz and following a bunch of people. And a bunch of people were able to see the people that you were communicating yes. with in Gmail, for example, the most. So maybe somebody that you are not proud to be talking to regularly or a lawyer or some other contact where it's a real privacy violation and people were pissed. Google will be subject to independent audits once every two years for 20 years. This is similar to what happened to Twitter when they were audited by the FTC. Uh, Google seems apologetic in its blog posting. They, they were very I think very they've been apologetic. apologetic for a long time. All right. At the risk of turning this into This Week in Google, let's, uh, let's move away from some Google news into some crazy executive talk. Uh, first, <laughs> Dell's Andy Lark has bashed the iPad, saying, first, he couldn't be happier that Apple's created a market and build up enthusiasm, but longer term, open, capable, and affordable will win. And he pointed out uh, while speaking to an Australia or speaking to CIO Australia, an IDG publication, he said, an iPad with a keyboard, a mouse and a case means you'll be at fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars. That's double of what you're paying. He claimed that's not feasible. Apple is great if you got a lot of money and live on an island. (laughs) An island. (laughs) It's not so great if you have to exist in a diverse, open, connected enterprise. Those are the two uh, places most people live. They right. either live on an island or in a diverse, open, connected enterprise. Australia is an yeah. island. That's true. So uh, He later contacted Engadget and clarified that he was speaking in New Zealand dollars when he said oh, 1500 or 1600 clears what up a, everything. What a jokester. Yeah. 1500 or 1600 New Zealand so, dollars, which I did not clarify. That would be $1,219.04 U.S. Okay. So that's still he's still being ridiculous. He's still being ridiculous. I you know, and you, you buy- can get an iPad and a, what, an external keyboard for 600 bucks if it's a you really nice a, keyboard. You can get an iPad, a case, a Bluetooth keyboard and the HDMI out adapter for less than 600 bucks. So, well, what's his problem? Well, I figured he's using another iPad as a keyboard, right? That's going to bring it right there. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Or he's using all like monster style gold-plated fancy <laughs> stuff. Like I yeah, this is insane. The fact that you use an iPad with a keyboard and mouse well, a case, I could see why you need that. I mean, he's making it a laptop. Well, this is just sort of, it's like it's like irresponsible speech that he's giving. His point is, you can take his point however you want to. Hey, Dell is committed to offering a lower cost tablet market. Apple has a, a good one, but they're expensive and it's, uh, you know, proprietary software, blah, blah, blah. But he's just making ridiculous claims that anybody who understands the market would say, Anyone well, who does, wait knows a second, how to do that's math. not true. Yeah, couldn't, yeah. couldn't do that. Yeah, there must be something in the air in Australia. Speaking at a lunch held in Sydney by the Committee for Economic Development of <laughs> Australia, Microsoft's Global Chief of Research and Strategy Officer Craig Mundy uh, said some things about the tablet as well. He's like, nah, mobile is something that you want to use while you're moving. Portable is something that you move and then use. These are going to bump into one another a little bit. So today you see tablets and pads and other things that are starting to live in the space in between. Personally, I don't know whether that space will be a persistent one or not. I know that Microsoft was in this business for... No, he didn't say this part. Microsoft was doing tablets for 10 years. Obviously, it was not persistent for those 10 years. Yeah, that that was a kind of a sad moment for tablets. They came in. I had a, a Slate tablet. It was great, except it, it was battery life was about two hours, and you had to use a stylus for everything, which was very sad. And this just sounds like sour grapes. I mean, like, okay, fine. It, it's you know what a flash in the pan was? Netbooks. 
those were a flash in a pan. They were like cool for like a minute and was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And then tablets came and totally displaced them. So I, everyone who's making tablets uh, that'll run Windows with this new Windows 8 version meant for tablets should just give up. Is that what Craig Mundy said? Uh, maybe he's, he's not writing a memo. He's just kind of telling Microsoft right now, hey, anything we're doing with touch, turn it off. Just stop it. Yeah, just stop it. Yeah. This is a, a very. This, this is how I'm telling you yeah. <laughs> in front of this conference. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, radioactive water removal still causing problems at uh, the reactors in Fukushima. Uh, they found the highest concentration of radioactive iodine-131 yet detected on Tuesday in a seawater sample taken near the plant's drainage outlets in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the dilution of the iodine-131 along with its half-life mean that it's probably not a long-term danger. Uh, but pumping was halted at the number one reactor while they try to figure out just why this water is still radioactive and and coming out of the reactor. Despite the halt of the water pumping, uh, the depth of the stagnant water is confirmed to have been halved to 20 centimeters. And uh, there was a brief report of smoke you may have heard about coming from a power distribution panel that stopped shortly after it was reported. It ended up not being anything to be concerned about yet. Uh, radioactive water has also been soaking the basements of the number two and three reactors. Essentially, the big problem they're having right now is trying to get rid of the stagnant water. Uh, according to uh, a member of NISA, the, the Japan nuclear agency, uh, Nishiyama said, we want to restore power and rebuild the cooling system, but such efforts are hampered by the stagnant water. We have to find a way out of the contradictory missions. They've got a catch-22 going on. Uh, they can't start pumping in fresh water and get the pumping systems back up to regular cooling until they get rid of the stagnant water, but they can't get rid of the stagnant water without pumping. And, and it's, you know, they, they've hit... A pretty significant snag here. Uh, also, Dr. Peter Lyons, an acting assistant secretary for nuclear energy with the Department of Energy, told a Senate panel on Tuesday that the U.S. government is shipping radiation-hardened robots to assist the Japanese. He said the robots could begin to give Japanese and U.S. officials readings on the environment inside the nuclear power plants. It'd be nice if they could pump water out, too. Go robots. Yeah. Go robots. And go news fuse. That was the best one after the nuclear crisis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was yeah, not intentional. Uh, whatever. After an Iranian hacker claimed responsibility for hacking to partners of certificate authority Komodo, uh, Komodo has revealed two new additional registration authorities were also compromised. Robin Alden, CTO of Komodo, said that the company is now in the process of rolling out a new two-factor authentication system for its registration authorities. Komodo also is installing other security measures as a result of the attack. U.S. electric car maker Tesla Motors is suing the BBC's Top Gear show, which you may have heard of it, it's really popular, alleging libel and malicious falsehood. Top Gear did a test of the Tesla and claimed that it ran out of juice after just 55 miles. It's supposed to have a 200-mile range, so that's quite a claim. The report showed the car being pushed into a hangar, according to the suit. Tesla said the Roadster was pushed into the hangar, but it hadn't run out of power, and so it didn't need to be pushed. And we don't really know why yet, but sounds like somebody's lying. I'm going to see how that shakes out. The battle for the App Store trademark continues. Microsoft has decided to bring in Dr. Ronald Ronald Butters, a linguistics expert, who says that App Store is as generic as Computer Store. Butters has a 20-page explanation, which can be found in Microsoft's documents opposing Apple's trademark. Oh, those 20 pages don't include things like exhibits or references. It looks like a fun read if you've got the time. Butters. Butters. He's been fighting this his whole life. It's a generic... 
Butters. You can't trademark his own name. Prior to today, if you wanted to buy a Roku box in a brick-and-mortar store, you'd probably be picking up a Netgear-branded box. Well, Roku's hit the big time now. You'll be able to pick up the Roku-only branded XD at Best Buy, Fry's, and Radio Shack. If you don't want to venture to the outside world, you can still go online and order the Roku box direct. Reports from Bloomberg and the New York Times say that Microsoft will build in near-field communications, or NFC, support into Windows Phone 7. Now, if you're not uh, familiar with NFC, it will allow for things like waving your phone at the cash register to make a payment. Really cool stuff. Microsoft has not made an official statement either way about this, so we will be following this story closely. More Microsoft. IE9 is the champion of the world in power consumption, according to real-world tests. IE9 beat out heavy hitters like Chrome 10, Firefox 4, and, and more. That would mean running IE9 instead of the other guys would waste less battery on your laptop. Wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, who, who ran these tests? Microsoft. Uh, in all fairness, Microsoft detailed the, the uh, test itself at MSDN blogs, so feel free to recreate their results if you want to check. Do it. Do your research. Do it now. Want to use Google Maps in China? Yes. Well, that might be a problem. If Google doesn't file an application required by the Chinese government, the deadline's tomorrow, and Google still hasn't filed. Uh, Google just, they just don't want to do anything the easy way in China, do they? No. Those two, they just need to sit down, talk it out. Get a room. (laughs) It's just, make friends. Get a great wall. Come on. When rumors, this is why I like that great wall. When rumors is reporting that Microsoft is sending vendors like HP copies of Windows 8 using Microsoft Connect. That's with a C, and it's the testing system, not the Xbox thing, which is Connect with a K. Microsoft is mum on the situation with a spokesperson stating that Redmond doesn't comment on future versions of Windows. Windows 8 is rumored for a 2012 release, which means they will all be dead before then. Sorry. Probably true. Uh, finally, iPad 2 gets wireless 1080p mirroring. Hey, and cool. it won't cost you $1,200 New Zealand. Sweet. It will. It's a little bit of, uh, of a hack. Uh, Apple offers an HDMI cable for the iPad. It's actually an adapter. So you have to you, you, you plug it into one end of the iPad and then the other end into an HDMI cable. What these guys have done uh, is actually take an HDMI wireless transmitter and a USB battery pack, and then hacked them uh, into the, a small case that they tape onto the back of the iPad so that you actually get wireless iPad 2 mirroring. Unapproved by Apple, of course. I think small case is an understatement. It seems to be about double the size of the iPad. Well, it's much smaller than if you took a U- big USB case That's and true. a big old HDMI transmitter. Yeah. I mean, they, they got it down to at least a workable size. Hmm. But it uses the WHDI 5 gigahertz standard to wirelessly transmit the HD video signal uh, to another pack that's hooked up to the television. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. They, they, they're talking about, you know, trying to figure out how to make it even smaller and marketing it. That'd be kind of cool, actually. Well, they better hurry before Apple does it where you don't have to shove all these cables into it. Thing yeah, your iPad, but cool now. Good, uh, good on you, employees at networking service provider Straight Up Technologies. Uh, nice, a nice, simple hack, but elegantly executed. All right. Uh, also, speaking of elegant things, if you want to make invoicing as elegant as you can, try FreshBooks. If you're a small business owner, you're a freelancer, uh, you do contract work or speaking engagements or anything like that, you know invoicing is the least exciting part of your job, but it's the most important because it's how you get paid. FreshBooks takes away a ton of pain 
in invoicing. You go to FreshBooks.com, you put in your information, put in the information of your client, it creates the invoice, you just put in the details. I, w- I did this amount of work on this day at this rate. It makes a professional invoice, can even put your logo on it. And not only that, but it will email... Uh, and track the payments. It'll send late payment reminders. It'll handle the payments. It can take credit cards. It can take PayPal. Uh, there's 11 electronic payment services it can take. And it'll even uh, print out an invoice and send it to people for a little bit extra money if you've got clients that need that paper invoice. So try it out for free today. You get up to three clients for nothing. And setting up an account is such a piece of cake that FreshBooks is giving away a free birthday cake every day. Uh, all you have to do is say that you heard about it on TNT in the little notes field when you sign up. You get three clients for free, so sign up for free, try it out, say TNT sent you, and you will be signed up to win a free birthday cake. And even if it's not your birthday, you can still eat your cake. Yeah. And even if you host TNT, apparently you can get a cake. If we don't get that cake, I, he, he, I will he, stop you. He, he said that if I took a cake, it would not deprive anyone else of a cake. So therefore... We get a cake? He's sending us a cake. Yay! <laughs> it just makes me so happy. My birthday's not for a few months. and How, What are you going to do? Free cake. Free cake. Happy about that. Not a lie. Onto the calendar. All right. HP is rolling out WebOS 3.0 beta to early access developers today. So if you're one of them, yay, it's your birthday. Boxy Details has detailed uh, its next box update with iPad support and more coming in May. I don't know what the more part is, but I'm excited about the iPad support. Star Wars on Blu-ray coming to a Blu-ray near you on September 16th. Acer, Tech, Asus Tech, rather, computer, Sony, and Samsung Electronics to mass ship Chrome OS notebooks in the second half of this year, says Digitimes. And um, if you haven't watched the studio getting built lately, you should do that. Dropcam.com slash demo. Yeah. See what's going on as it all we're comes bi- together. We're built in, building the brick house. Uh, we're, we're calling it the Twit Brick House now, huh? Uh, that's that the last I heard. Seems the name has stuck. Yeah. So. Nothing better has come along yet. On to the voicemails, 260-TNT-SHOW is the phone number to call, and uh, you can leave a message. Keep it under 30 seconds, keep it brief, keep it compelling, and we are more likely to play it on the show like this one. Hey, TNT crew, this is Kevin from Iowa. I'm Tech Daddy K on Twitter. I just want to call and tell you how impressed I am that you're able to book somebody of the uh, of, of the stature of I am. Oh, I mean, nice. that, that one song that he has is just... A, a song? What's that? Oh, no, he's not a singer. I as Actar. Who the hell's that? Oh, well, anyway. Oh, good luck. He was getting confused oh. between you and Iaz. Yes, this gentleman. The R&B singer. Now, if you guys don't know anything about this guy, uh, he apparently appeals to some teeny boppers to the point that they tweet me uh, with their really, really poor grammar. And it drives me a little wacky. Are, are their tweets auto-tuned by chance? Possibly. We are ta- we are thinking about auto-tuning Iaz on the show. I think we should, that- so I can start singing regularly. Yeah. Uh, but yes, this is the singer who chose the name Ayaz. Uh, You're so lucky, Ayaz. I know. These but tunes are fresh. And so you is You should Ayaz. take that as a compliment. He likes yeah. your name so much, he chose it. I hope he watched me on Channel Flip and took that name on purpose. I'm going to find you, Kedria. He may I, know, I have an idea for Halloween now. Okay. All right? Might as well go with that. You'll be Ayaz the rapper? You'll dress up as Ayaz the rapper. Uh-huh. You'll dress up as Sarah Lane the ballerina. And you'll be... You can dress up as Jason Howell the actor. Uh, yeah, or a baseball player. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll dress up as Tom Merritt, the Taekwondo master. Is Done. That, is that such a man? <laughs> there is. 
He is ripped, too. Really? Yeah. I'm going to need an inflatable suit if I want to dress up as that guy. <laughs> I'm going to need to, uh, I don't know, start starving myself now, I guess. A- after the cake. After the cake. You can get a deflatable suit. <laughs> On to the emails, TNT at twit.tv. Nitten writes in and says, In episode 209, Sarah compared tech analysts to meteorologists and claimed that what they do essentially is the same thing, make guesses and then just revise their outlooks when things don't match up. I am not a meteorologist, but as a fellow scientist, I would like to take exception to this. Meteorology is based on extremely complex and computationally intensive weather models, whereas most tech analyst predictions are based on pulling claims out of a certain body part. Obviously, both occupations have prediction errors, but those in meteorology stem from pushing the boundaries of science, whereas those in tech analyst world come from rumors and half-baked thinking. I know Sarah was only being half serious and I might be being pedantic, but I wanted to point this out. I think that's very fair. I was absolutely 100% kidding. It's always easy to make fun of the meteorologist when it rains and a day longer than it was supposed to. I look at my weather report every day. It's how I get dressed in the morning. So no offense to the meteorology world. And by the way, you know, no offense to some analysts who do their very best every day in their jobs as well. I don't hate all analysts. No, and I also don't hate of, Paul McCartney actually, because I'm sure someone will email us about that. Some of my best friends are analysts. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. They're not stupid. Yeah. Just that I, some analyst reports I, are better than others. I don't know if I'd want my daughter to marry. I think you guys are digging yourselves into a hole. Slightly. <laughs> Next email from Jerry Coffey says, Hi, everybody. I was just listening to the March 29th episode on the way to work. And Tom mentioned MP3 tunes being gone. Just in case no one else mentioned, they haven't died. When I bought a Roku box, I had the chance to sign up, authorize the Roku app to use MP3 tunes. This gave me a 20 uh, gigabyte locker to store music and video. There's an app, Airband, lets you play your music on iOS devices. It's a little primitive, but it functions well. You can also use the PC uh, Sync app to have it updated. Tie a couple systems together. I use Dropbox for my document moving service. MP3 tunes for my most wanted tunes for online access. And that way, I have more space on the iPad for TNT. MP3 Tunes continues to save the day, apparently. I knew MP3 Tunes had been sued, but they have not been sued out of existence. Thank you, uh, Jerry, for letting us know about that. They're still here. And thanks to everybody for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is our website. You can find links to our wiki that has all of our show notes there. Please do. And if you'd like to call and leave us a message, something short, concise, compelling about the stories and the opinions that you have, give us a call. 260-TNT-SHOW and also send us emails. TNT at twit.tv. We will see you. Well, I won't see you. I'm going to be off for opening day of baseball tomorrow, but they'll see you tomorrow. Bye.